0: What is it that defines you?
1: Is that a rhetorical question? Am I supposed to answer that right now?
0: That's for the universe, Paul.
1: (laughs) I mean, that's a pretty heavy way to start off this podcast. In a
0: world (laughs) where we ask, what defines you? What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. I'm
1: Jake. I'm Paul. Welcome back inside our crazy brains. Boy, are we going to get deep inside our crazy brains. This is almost sort of the second part of a two-part series in a way. And an ongoing series in the sense that this
0: is the story of our lives. (laughs) Because because what are we really
1: interested in talking about, Jake? Ourselves. We... We don't have enough money to pay people to psychoanalyze us. <laughs> That's exactly so right. So we just do it together. No, this is this is totally a trip to the couch. We are going to go on the couch. This, not the casting couch, but like the psychiatrist couch, talking about the movies that define us. Yeah.
0: This is like Lucy from Peanuts with her psych, you know. Yeah. Psychiatric help five cents. Yeah, the, That's the what psychiatrist we do for herself.
1: Five cents. That's yeah. about what we make. So that seems appropriate.
0: That's appropriate. So we've already talked about the movies that shaped us mm-hmm. previously. If you hadn't heard that, just uh, skip back an episode, listen to that bad boy. You don't really need that unless you really want to get to know us right. better. Right. Which, you know what? Actually, maybe you do need that. Maybe you do need that context. But we talked about the movies that really shaped us from exactly. an early
1: age. Exactly, Movies we learned from. Movies that, that – in some ways, helped mold our worldviews and turned us really into the geeks that we are.
0: Yeah. And this time, though, we're getting even more psychoanalytic, analytical, Cambridge Analytica for the Facebook fans out there. But we're, we're getting in and we're kind of getting into the psychographics of ourselves and saying if we had to pick movies that defined us, that maybe they haven't shaped us, but if these movies explain... Something about our personality and who we are today, right? Uh, and so these could change in the future. That's what we're talking about today. Yeah, yeah. and we're, we're, we've rank, I've ranked mine. Have you ranked yours, Paul? No, I haven't ranked. mine. Paul likes to break from convention. I just, I just and not, go not obey the for rules it. because. See, is that going to show up in no, your list of movies that define you? Things that. That people, you know, movies where people break the rules? Actually, maybe. Yeah. That
1: may be your, No, I, I, essentially what I did is I sort of took it by like core facets of my personality. Right. right? So um, in, in a way because –
0: And you didn't want to have to get into the messiness of ranking the exactly. core facets of your own personality? Exactly. These
1: are just things that sort of – and again, these are – what i did last time as as i sort of went chronologically and this is another chronological order but it also they also each speak to sort of what i think are different parts of me yeah this was a really strange bizarre and in a bizarre sort of way a, a rewarding exercise you know i when you get old like i do you really stop thinking about yourself i mean you think about yourself all the time i'm an incredibly <laughs> selfish person but but you don't really like in college in college you know i spent a lot of time thinking about who, who I? I was yeah all this kind of stuff and then and then when you get old and you have kids and you know you're you're in this world now but you just sort of you do your job you take care of your kids you eat breakfast you go to sleep and it, and all of a sudden kind of the internal workings of you sort of get pushed to the side. So this is the first time that I've really thought deeply about who I am since I was navel gazing in my senior <laughs> year, essentially. Well
0: welcome. Welcome back, Paul
1: <laughs> But it could be really an interesting exercise for hopefully our, our listeners too, you know, because I think I think that there's there are movies I think that sometimes we see and we look at and we point to and we say, that is me. That is exactly where I am or that's exactly where I was five years ago and so hopefully this conversation will inspire you to think about some of those things yeah
0: and as much as there was one entry on my list uh, last time for movies that shaped me that I was embarrassed of, I didn't want to talk about I didn't want to <laughs> I didn't want to realize and agree and uh, say that this was one that shaped me. there's two on my list that I'm still looking at them and thinking this time, I, I, this this does define something about me, and I don't like it <laughs> because it's it just exposes the the parts of me that I've tried to suppress but are still very strong. So oh, that's there interesting. we go, there we go. So without further ado, and I guess I'm just gonna have to rank Paul's for him since he won't do it <laughs> yeah, himself. You can rank mine
1: for me. That's uh, fine. Uh,
0: once we're all done, I'll, I'll, and there's yeah. and
1: there's actually the way that we'll be doing it. it, it there will be some truth to that. Sweet. So.
0: So without further ado, it's time for Rank Geeks. Welcome inside Rank Geeks. This time we've showered and this time one (laughs) of us hasn't ranked anything in numerical order. But we're calling it Rank Geeks anyways because
1: you know what? That's the segment, and we're sticking to it. <laughs> yeah, and because – One know, of us ranked something. So one of us ranked something. One of us just failed. Failed
0: completely. <laughs> I'll just – I'll take over all the ranking privileges for this episode. All right. Yeah.
1: Sounds like a plan.
0: So, Paul, what? since you don't have an official number three, why don't you just start with let Let's go with one number, of number, number
1: 17. Number 17 on my list.
0: Movies this that is Movies
1: you. that defined us. This was – uh, I'll just say the name. She's having a baby. (laughs) This was... Is this a Kevin Bacon film? Yes!
0: Never watched it. I'm
1: so impressed that you knew this. Uh, Back in, I don't even know when the movie was made, I think it was 1990 or something like that, Uh, I was in college, as a matter of fact, and I was um, a wannabe novelist. I was... um, Aren't you still a wannabe novelist? I'm still a wannabe novelist. (laughs) I was newly married with a kid on the way. The movie, starring Kevin Bacon, is about a wannabe novelist who falls into a career he's not necessarily that thrilled with. Newly married, an unexpected baby on the way. And so because It's almost too on the nose. It was a little bit too on the nose. And it's it's a really fun movie. Um, But it was really powerful for me at the time because I looked at the character and I said, That is him! That is me well, of course it's him I, I but was it was thinking, you yeah no it was it was really an amazing moment for me because I thought, wow it's like this guy read my life now, I was so excited about the movie that I then showed it to my wife. I sat down with with Wendy my wife, and we watched it and I told her I prefaced this by saying this is our life <laughs> this is this is us right here. And so we sat down and watched it, and I had neglected to remember that the main character flirts with having an affair. Oh, good. And that my wife, seven months pregnant, the wife in the movie has a very difficult pregnancy. <laughs> and, has, and so I turned it off. And this, was, this was honestly one of the darkest parts of our marriage. This and wallpapering. This, these were the low points. Ever. I turned and I said, so what did you think? Did you love this movie as much as I did? And she said, I hated this movie. I hated this movie. And thereby, she hated you. That's exactly right. Because when you have movies like this that feel so personal to you, there's, I mean, when they're rejected, by somebody, especially somebody who you who you love. Yeah, your number one who, person in your life. Who you married and who is going to give birth to your child, you feel like all of a sudden you've been, <laughs> like a key part of you has been rejected as well. And it actually took me, you know, it, w- it was not enough to say, well, it's it's time to file the paper. We're, <laughs> we're no longer going to be together. But, but you might
0: have paced melancholy outside of a lawyer's office for a couple of minutes.
1: <laughs> I stewed. For a good few days on that, and I think it's really taken me, you know, until now to get over it. You know, it's just it's just interesting how how strongly movies sometimes speak to us, yeah, and how little of that other people can see. I think right. at the time I thought that that movies were fairly universal, but they're really not. They're, they're not. very individual. Yeah,
0: the story wasn't exactly about my life, but I'll remember. I remember year, a couple of years ago very similar in my own marriage where I actually was reviewing the movie About Time with uh, Domino Gleason mm-hmm. and um, Rachel McAdams was in it and I just was blown away at how strong the family message was here, the marriage message, the parenting message is like – even though it's rated R, it has a couple of language concerns and some sexual, like you know, content concerns that you got to watch out for. Overall, like especially the second half of the movie was one of the strongest family messages I've ever seen in a movie, period. And I was just so blown away. I felt like hugging everybody as I left the theater. <laughs> I was so encouraged and uplifted and because I was a college student. I was working. I had you know two or three young kids at the time. I was married and I was just like, I can do it! I can do it! And then the movie comes out on video and I had been you know singing its praises to my wife. And so I rent it and we're going to watch it. Same thing. And she got up and left oh. Oh, in the no. middle of it because it upset her. Oh man. Because there was a scene in it that to me I had just totally glossed over. Right. And to her it was like, this is really problematic. And she was right in that and in, in that it has some problematic uh right. Right. you know, issues to it, but I had been kind of glossed it over for the whole. Right. And for her, it was like, no, this is a huge problem. Like, how can I, how can I like this relationship when this is where it starts? Yeah, exactly, exactly. This is a deal killer, yeah. right here. And, and it caused a fight. And yeah. I, I think we, I think we're over it. I don't know. I guess we'll find out when she listens, and she's like, no, I'm still mad about that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you like that movie.
1: So, do you and your wife like the same sort of no, movies? No, not typically?
0: really. There's a few places we overlap. Yeah. Um, you know, like in the Bourne movies or the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. But otherwise, we have very divergent tastes in movies. Yeah,
1: see, that's me and my wife as well. I mean, I think that, that when I when it comes down to Oscar season and I'm reviewing and watching all these, you know, deep, powerful stories and all that kind of stuff, these are not movies that I think about taking Wendy to. <laughs> we are all about Infinity War. We are all about Black Panther. We might see Solo. You know, it's it's these types of movies that that we find common ground and i've learned to accept that thankfully for our marriage (laughs)
0: there you go all right so i have ranked my list so i'm going to start with number three for myself and that is 2004's kung fu hustle (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's awesome have you seen this
1: no i haven't you're gonna have to tell me that all
0: right so it's it's uh, Kung Fu Hustle, two thousand four. <laughs> Kung Fu Hustle, great, great flick. I've so I've got the DVD uh, at home. It's great. It's subtitles because it's a foreign. You know, it's not an American movie. It's set in nineteen forties, uh, Shanghai, China. It's directed by Stephen Chow. It stars Stephen Chow. He's famous for other things like Shaolin Soccer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So essentially, what Stephen Chow is known for is really high quality kung fu but also slapstick comedy and really ridiculous outlandish situations and so what kung fu hustle comes together to be is like a bugs bunny movie meets a roadrunner <laughs> movie meets i Eep man you know like or a, a bruce lee yeah. movie meets a jackie chan movie meets a 1940s gangster movie it's it's so many different things, but yet Stephen Chow has this unique ability, or at least he did in this film, to marry all those elements into this ridiculous plotline that involves mob families and this, you know, run down uh, tenement that's run by this real cranky lady who's mm-hmm. always beating up the people that live there and this homeless guy who has this weird childhood trauma and it's absolutely bonkers and yet it all works it's a very funny movie the jokes somehow work because he's such a physical director they he's able to get the jokes across almost universally even though the movie's in subtitles and so it's hilarious and there's some jaw-dropping action too i mean if you like kung fu movies yeah yeah and so why i would say that defines me is That's kind of how I feel my personality and my like literal body are as a human (laughs) being. Your literal body. Yeah, in the sense that (laughs) I've always been, I I was always as a kid, I was huge. I grew really fast. You know, as a five year old, I was four foot tall. I was 60 pounds. I was like a linebacker as a five year old. Yeah, and if
1: you don't know Jake, he's, he is seven six. Yeah,
0: I'm not, I'm not tiny now, even though my brothers all surpassed me. And so I was always athletic. I always played sports, but. I wasn't a jock. Right. I liked I liked poetry and I liked old literature and I liked Weird Al and I liked you know odd movies and so I always felt like I had this weird this weird array of things that I didn't know how to yeah. blend together and so Kung Fu Hustle to me I love the weirdness of it I love the action of it and. The nostalgia of it being yeah. set in this kind of 40s mobster period. And so it, in a way, not only do I think it's a re- legitimately funny and great action film, yeah. it also feels like it's very much this me yeah. in a, in a two-hour little bubble of I'm a lot of different things and even I don't know what I am. But somehow it comes together in a semi-cohesive package. And I hope you like it.
1: Wow, that's that's really cool. I'm gonna have to number one. I'm gonna have to see the movie. But number two, I have a question for you. Yeah, I know that, that probably the geek culture, as we might call it, just getting excited about different things, um, was a little more acceptable maybe in your childhood than in mine. But how much being being the football player, being the jock, how much pressure did you feel in high school or even college, um, if any at all? to pretend to be something that you didn't necessarily feel like you were. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, I I guess I felt I had the, the interesting experience
0: of also coming of age when MySpace and Facebook were mm-hmm. like emerging onto sure. the scene. And so in a sense, I had this interesting ability to allow different parts of my personality to manifest in different places. Like I didn't, you know, where I think we could have done that just with different peer groups before, now I had the opportunity to develop that, not just within a peer group, but out in the open, interestingly enough, and to see what people that weren't necessarily in my immediate peer group were similar to me in that. But even now, I see the distinct separation of that because like on MySpace – MySpace is where I got into blogging because you could have a blog on your MySpace profile. And I wrote poetry on there and I wrote weird nonsensical humor that was full of non sequiturs and just odd and it was the way my brain flowed. And I developed a friendship with people that felt – that had similar personalities that I wouldn't have otherwise probably 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. And but then as I got onto Facebook as that came into being after MySpace, I didn't do that there. That was the cooler kids, that was where my football buddies were or, you know, the older kids were. And so I didn't really develop that there. And so now I've got all these Facebook friends that really don't know this side of me that was on MySpace. Um thankfully I met my, my wife while I was on MySpace, so she knew both sides of me and loved me for it. But it was an interesting Experience being able to have an outlet for that yeah. publicly, yeah, but still somehow keep it separate, yeah, from that other part of me. It was a very interesting experience. No, that
1: is fascinating, and it's just sort of interesting, I think, how different different generations really deal with those those facets of themselves in very different ways. You know, when I was growing up, I think things were very niche you yeah. know, in a certain way. And and unfairly so. I think that it's much healthier now, obviously, to be able to express that, that sort of thing a little bit easier because I don't think that probably, I bet you, that the jocks in my high school, there were a lot of them that really dug Star Wars as much as I did, but they can never say so. Yeah, and they didn't have an outlet for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So there you go. Number All three right. for me. All right. Come number, through Hustle.
1: Number 25.4... For me, would be um, this is another. It's another odd movie, nineteen nineties movie. Uh, but I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Oddly enough, is the Fisher King.
0: The Fisher King. This is a Robin Williams one. Robin Williams. Jeff, Jeff Bridges. Bridges. Yeah.
1: And it's directed by Terry Gilliam, who is We've obviously, been talking about him a lot. Yeah, he's famous for Monty Python. He does a lot of strange movies. Yeah.
0: Speaking of strange senses of humor.
1: So, yeah strange senses of humor, but one of the things that that really spoke to me about this movie was it's really essentially the plot is you have this this one time shock jock who unintentionally encouraged a huge massacre at a restaurant. whoops um, he He has sort of a crisis of of career and so he sort of falls down and and, and does something else. He comes to meet this homeless crazy guy played by Robin Williams who in the course of the movie you realize was his life went downhill because of that massacre. And the crazy guy, he has in his mind that he needs he's like a an old-time knight. Mm. He's sort of a Don Quixote type of character who needs to retrieve the Holy Grail. Uh, from, from this castle, essentially. They live in New York, and so he sees, instead of New York as, as most of us would see it, he sees it as almost this medieval kingdom, and there's this castle that he wants to invade and, and capture the Holy Grail. So it's really about the relationship between the, the Bridges Shockjock character and, and the Robin Williams crazy character. And I think the, the reason why it resonates with me so much is that it really speaks to, I think, this, um, this dichotomy that I feel sometimes within myself in the desire of my realistic nature and my desire for belief and mm. faith and to to really dream big, you know. And I think that that it, for me, the movie is really all about faith. It's about it's about stepping outside yourself and about believing in something that that is is better than you is truer. Um, and and for me, the movie is incredibly resonant. Even to this, even to this day, as I think about it, you know, it makes me want to watch it again because I think just that desire to to uh, to step out on faith is it's a hard thing for me to do personally. I'm I'm a journalist. I was trained as a journalist. I'm trained to be cynical, and I think that's partially my nature. And so, faith has never come easy to me in a way um, but it's such a huge part of my life it's so important it's so precious to me and so as I walk through these my own life and and deal with these two sides of me that's I sometimes think of it in Fisher King terms you yes. know and, and it's it's interesting one thing I'll mention here um, she's having a baby really doesn't fit into this but there are two types of movies that tend to resonate with me one are movies about family. The other is movies about faith, and sometimes really quirky faith. Um, but it's the whole reason why Braveheart has been such a big movie to me. you know. And it, it's only because of one line. You know, Mel Gibson doing his thing, that's great. All the battles, that's awesome. But for me, the charm of the movie always comes down to when... If you've seen it, you you kind of know the scene um, where William Wallace, the the Mel Gibson character, has just been betrayed. You know he's trying to free Scotland. He it's, he sort of unites with Robert the Bruce uh, to do this. Uh, Robert the Bruce betrays him, and so it's a terrible moment in the in the movie. But Robert the Bruce comes back to his duplicitous father and. and Um, talks with him about how terrible he felt that he betrayed William Wallace, this hero of the Scottish people. And um, his father says, you know, you got to get used to this. All men lose heart. All men betray. And he says, I don't want to lose heart. I want to believe. And for me, that's really powerful.
0: Yeah. The Fisher King. Braveheart. Braveheart. Same movie. They really kind of the are same. in a way,
1: yeah. Fisher King, <laughs> love Fisher King. So there you go. Obviously, lots of problematic elements, but sure. All right, for me, number two on my list
0: is from 2008, mm. and it's The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight starring wow. Christian Bale, directed by Christopher As Nolan. As a movie that
1: defines
0: a... Ledger. Yeah, this one it, it sort of blurs the line between shape and define but I, I think define why I land and I'll get into why I think I land, it landed on define but you know this movie came out in in 2008 right as you know I was exiting high school, getting into college and my parents I think did a pretty good job of you know helping me have a a childhood where I felt safe overall. Not perfect because the world's sure. a messy place, course, obviously, course and you can't shield your kids from all of it. Right. But also, you know, trying to help me understand the pain and the hurt and the problems in the world so that I wasn't completely, as I got, you know, in age appropriate ways as I got older. However, as you leave high school and go to college, was for me, I, I think this transition happens differently for different people, but was for me where I started just to see just how. Chaotic the world was for myself, where right. I, I knew that there was problems in the world, but now it just seemed like there was this nonsensical level of, of problems in the world, where I was fully being exposed to the 24/7 news cycle as it was manifesting itself in the digital age, where everywhere you went was opinion and chaos and opinion on chaos and pain and hurt and evil, and it was overwhelming. And I I couldn't tear myself away from it. I was sort of obsessed with the pain and the brokenness and the chaos around me. And in that transition between graduating high school and going to college, and that is literally when The Dark Knight dropped. It's summer of 2008, as I'm in this period. And Heath Ledger's Joker, we've talked about him. I've ranked him as my number one. Villain of all time Incredible villain Yeah In a movie And he And no, what Nolan and Ledger capture in The Dark Knight Is this chaotic, unrelenting, unreasoning, illogical sense of evil in the world You know, it was a movie that, like, my own dad couldn't even finish Because wow. it was so That presentation of evil was so yeah. oppressive Yeah And and what you see, though, with the hero with The Dark Knight with Christian Bale's portrayal of Batman is a hero trying to grapple with maintaining humanity in the midst of that. And that is what I have struggled with ever since, you know, in the last decade of coming into the the chaos and pain of the world is how to go back into that darkness day after day, night after night if you're Batman where it doesn't make sense and the choices feel like it's always between... Uh, one evil and an even more evil, and and it's coming at you every which way, and there's no sense of purpose or logic to it, and yet, and and you just want to give up because you're misunderstood, you know people don't know why you're doing what you're doing, they disagree with the choices that you make, and man, is that for me has felt very much like my the wars I've had in my own mind as I've struggled with. What does it mean to have a calling into the pain and the darkness of the world to try to help people that don't always understand and to do it imperfectly and not to make all the right decisions myself because I'm just a human and to not understand the chaos and the pain and the evil that I'm facing but yet feel – and feel battered and bruised by it and yet to throw yourself into that darkness time and time again and that's – that was poignant then and it's still poignant to me now and why I think it's one that defines me and not because I think I'm this great hero but because I feel very much like Bruce Wayne slash Batman and that I don't know that what I'm doing is making a difference. I don't know that what I'm doing will ever make a difference and yet I'm going to throw myself into it again and again and again imperfectly but without giving up.
1: Yeah, no, and and that's really the challenge in – in the modern age, and maybe it's been the challenge forever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In exactly. the course of because, human existence. Yeah, because I think that that so many times as we go through life, the problems can seem just so overwhelming. You know, and it and it seems like sometimes we feel like we're not doing any good. We try and we try and we try, and we're not doing any good. And sometimes there are days where we contribute. To the darkness and evil in the world. I yep. mean, if we're being honest, yep. I think that there are days where we're just not on our game. Yep. Um, it's one of those things where, where it can be really difficult to continue. What you say, I think, is really true. I think it can be very difficult to throw yourself into the uh, the fray again and again. Um, I was writing a book one time with with this guy, who I thought had a, a really great. Um, Quote from somebody else, so I'm am afraid I can't I can't remember. But uh, Jim Daly was talking to me about this uh, this quote that he heard one time about what the devil says when in certain periods of time he looks at somebody and he says, "Oh crap, he's getting out of bed again," you know. And that's really what it's all about. It's about getting out of bed and doing what we can every day, not giving up, not despairing, even though. <sighs> The world encourages us to despair. and encourages us to to lose hope. But hope is everything in some ways. And I think that, that when you look at, at The Dark Knight, it's a movie about hope. As yeah. dark as it is, it's a movie about hope. Yeah. It makes me think of another, and I think it's funny
0: that this quote is in another uh, Christopher Nolan movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Interstellar, which I was kind of mixed on Interstellar overall, but in that, Michael Caine quotes the old Dylan Thomas poem, uh, "Do not go gentle into that good night," yeah, which really encapsulates that feeling of, you know, it's, it says, "Old age should burn and rave at close of day, rage, rage against the dying of the light." The wise men at their end no dark is right, because their words had forked no lightning. They do not go gentle into that good night,
1: mm.
0: and that sense of it—it it feels. Pervasive, it yeah. feels overwhelming. Yeah. And yet we will not go gentle into it. We yeah. will we'll still storm the castle. So
1: there you go. Love it. Dark Knight. Number two. All right, number one for me, pseudo number one. Um this was a movie that frankly surprised me. Honestly, the first two movies came quickly to me as I was sort of thinking through this exercise. One morning as I was you know obviously every morning when I wake up I think about this this podcast <laughs> and I, I was sort of laying in bed as a one bit, should as one should and I was laying in bed and I was thinking so movies that define me what what would this be and finally all of a sudden something just came to me out of the blue it is a movie from this year just a few months ago. Um, a Quiet Place. A Quiet Place. A Quiet Place.
0: So you went from late 80s, early 90s all, all the, way, the way to 2018. All the way to the present.
1: Yeah. No, and it. this was a really fascinating movie. We have not I see talked why you've been it. bugging me about no, this. Yeah. No. And, and to be honest with you, I like it better each passing week. Yeah. Um, it is without question my favorite movie of the year. Without question. Yeah. And we've already seen, you know, Black Panther, Infinity Wars. Those are fine. And they're pretty good in their own ways. But A Quiet Place? Brilliant. It is good. And the reason why it resonates with me so much is that it's, it's about this family. It, it's, it's characterized as this horror movie. It's almost more of a thriller in a way. Um, PG-13. It's about this family who's living in sort of this post-apocalyptic America where um, the world has been invaded by these creatures that hunt by sound. They're blind, they can't see anything, but they have incredibly sensitive hearing. And so um, they bad listen- Bad aliens. <laughs> exactly. That so. would have been
0: a less cool
1: title <laughs> than A Quiet Place. <laughs> bad aliens. <laughs> they are really bad aliens. It's terrible. No, bat, but- <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, they, 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 they hunt by sound. And so you have this family that um, is trying to survive by being as quiet as possible, you see these these little pockets of civilization not not civilization, but these these remnants homes. of humanity. Exactly, remnants of humanity that have learned to be quiet. This family has learned to be quiet through tragedy. They they lost a, a son because he dropped a toy. It made a lot of noise, and just like that, the creatures came. Um, but years after, months or years after. Um, the rest of them have survived, and the woman is pregnant. Mm. Now, anyone who knows anything about pregnancy, it's not a quiet experience. Yeah,
0: especially labor and delivery.
1: Exactly. No epidurals in this society. Yeah, um, And
0: you know what? Babies are supposed to cry after they're born because that's how you know they're getting to That's exactly
1: right. And it's not like you can tell a little three-day-old infant, don't cry because these creatures are going to get you. Yeah, But you have this beautiful sense of as as messed up as the world obviously is this is almost sort of like a, a bookend to the dark night as messed up as the world obviously is in this moment they're determined to bring this child into the world you know to to risk it into 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 because life is precious life is hope and uh, during the course of the movie this is really a family movie and it in despite all the all the nasty aliens that are trying to eat people. It's a beautiful movie, too. It's very bucolic, where you have these beautiful moments. Good word, by the way. Thank you very much. I'm not sure if I pronounced it right, but I I do like writing it. So, it was... It it has this sense of, of nature, and of peace, and of family. It's really all about family. And you have this moment where the father is asked to make this... You know, he... The mom at one point, says to, to the dad, we have to protect them. What else are we here for? And as a dad, that's incredibly powerful. And, and I, I think about that movie more and more, just sort of in, in kind of in the realm of the modern age, where there's so many dangers. Um, and it's such a noisy culture, in a way. Yeah. Um, as a parent... That's, that really feels like it's almost my prime duty in life is to, is to protect my kids. Even though they're all grown, that's still a driving force within me. And so the movie encapsulated that just really well, like what parenthood does to you and what I feel my role is as a parent, to protect them from the, the slings and arrows of the world as much as possible, to um, help them deal with a very hostile and uncomfortable world so yeah for me a quiet place all of a sudden it just sort of I said yeah you know what I can see myself in the characters here I don't always do my do it perfectly but this is what I feel in some ways like I was put on the world to do in the world to do so
0: that's pretty cool
1: I like it so we'll have to talk about it
0: sometime yep so, I mean, that is great. It's like you set me up. It's like we're playing volleyball or badminton and you just set me up for the spike for my number one. All right. Very So good. Um, it's really cool. I didn't even know what your list was, but uh, <laughs> boy, I just had to take a moment to, uh, to get ready for the reveal of this next one, <laughs> which is from 2006.
1: Another 2006 movie? Mm-hmm. Too late or mid-2000s Mid,
0: movie? Mid-2000s, yep. Um, directed by Jared Hess. And it's called Nacho Libre. <laughs> <laughs> Equally poignant with A Quiet Place. <laughs> Equally poignant. This was, this was another one, again, that I was like, why, why do I have to put this on my list? Why do I have to tell people that this defines me? Well, there's, there's a couple of reasons, obviously. So in my life, I've been compared, you know, as we talk about celebrity doppel. Right. Doppelgangers? Doppel- right, 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 yeah. right. Um, I, I've actually, like, since high school gone through quite a few, quite a roller coaster um, of celebrity doppelgangers. So, like, I started with Tom Welling, you know, okay. from Smallville. Yeah. Because I was I – was, mostly clean shaven in high school and i had long really curly dark hair and mm-hmm. i was a football player you know so i had you know kind of broad shoulders like a young clark kent so people were like yeah you look like tom Welling from smallville yeah, yeah. I, okay i dig that started to get older started to grow some facial hair um still had that curly hair people were like hey you kind of look like adrian Grenier. I'm like, all right <laughs> i mean i'm not like i'm not a huge adrian Grenier fan myself but he doesn't look Half bad. But then I had kids and I got older and I stopped playing football and I got a little heavier. And uh, then people said, hey, you kind of look like Jack Black.
1: Black. Dang
0: it! Especially when I grew my hair because I did once when I got older. I I mostly have been short hair in my old age. But I grew it longer and it's curly. I look like Jack Black, especially from Nacho Libre. And that's that's one reason you could say it defines me, even though my my <laughs> hair isn't long currently. That's hilarious. But uh, again, it it, and I think this is not unique to me as the base feeling, but is, is sort of this funny thing with Nacho is you've got this character who is very faithful, like he he's he's this Catholic you know, priest in in Mexico and he loves God and he loves serving the kids at this orphanage, you know, that he and these other priests serve at. But he also feels like he was called to do more than just that, that he can help these kids even as he pursues something that feels like it's a calling on his life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which is odd... lucha libre wrestling. <laughs> yes, an odd calling to be sure. <laughs>
0: And, and I'm not saying that everybody should feel called to lucha libre. I'm not <laughs> saying that I feel called to lucha libre, but Maybe it's secret. it's very odd and it's very different and it's sort of against the the culture that he's a part of to be involved in this. And yet he feels passionately about it. He feels it, it's it's weirdly almost a. Uh, a uh, a, a comedic parallel to *Chariots of Fire*. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> where he feels oh. the glory of the Lord when he's coming off the top rope. To you can take almost out a little, hear him saying that. You know, I
1: feel the glory of the Lord. When I, I come off the top his rope. Joy. <laughs> his,
0: it flows through me when I tear my blouse. <laughs> and, and so there's again the sense where. As a Christian, you know, and that having defined me ever since I was a young kid, but struggling with what the culture says, you know, cultural Christianity says here's, you know, tidied up, buttoned up, you know, you fit within this nice plastic mold. And feeling like, you know what, I I feel like I was made to be more passionate than this, more – not in a bad way but more reckless than this or at least seemingly so. Like not within this mold but to break out of that and to do something unthought of, like to reach people in ways that others – you know, have been afraid to go to because I'm just weird like that. Again, yeah. kind of getting back to Kung Fu Hustle, I have these weird parts of me that I've tried to be making sense of and felt like I couldn't fully embrace them within this faith bubble. But maybe, you know, maybe God does have a way to shape those mm-hmm. for his glory. And that's, you know, that's what's really cool about Nacho Libre. Spoiler alert, he ends up being able to provide a better life for these kids that he serves and continue to be a support to them and a, a positive influence to them even as he does, you know, breaks into the world of Lucha Libre. Yeah. It's also one of the most quotable movies of all time. You know, similar it, to Napoleon, similar to Princess Bride.
1: It's, it's one of these movies actually that, that I've only seen once and I really enjoyed it the first time I saw it. We, when i saw you you first posted your list of movies that define you on twitter yeah. and when i saw nacho libre i thought oh my goodness that is hilarious <laughs> and then the more i thought about it the more i thought actually that's just about perfect yeah. isn't it because and i think that you get to a really profound point where you and i neither of us are are exactly orthodox evangelical Christians in a way. I mean, and I don't know how many evangelical Christians are that orthodox. I think that, that there's this there's this strange box that I think that, that culturally has been built for us collectively. Yeah. And there's some people who seem to fit in it pretty well. And there are a lot of others who quietly or loudly sort of push against that box. And we sort of... We sort of have oh. this Mexican wrestler that wants to come out, you know. Like, and who I, created this box? I
0: busted out.
1: But I also think it speaks to your, to your, and, and this is going to sound way too <laughs> flattering. I don't need to, need to sound this way, but it it speaks to your idealism. It speaks to your uh, enthusiasm. It speaks to your desire to to help people in the best of ways. And so the more I thought about Nacho Libre, I thought, yeah, that's, that's pretty much, Jay. That's perfect. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and I
0: have to say, you should watch it twice and then three times because I think it's one of those movies that just gets better the more you watch it because you get into the quotes yeah. and you just start going along with it because yeah. it's just so goofy. Yeah.
1: So my, I got to tell you, my celebrity doppelgangers, oh, yeah. I, I was told often when I was in school, in high school... That I was either Billy Joel – not Billy Joel. Billy Idol. Billy Idol. Or David Bowie. <laughs> All right. And then as soon as I got married, I became Anthony Edwards, Dr. Green <laughs> from ER. <so. laughs>
0: there you go. There you have it. The movies that define us. What movies define you? Like the good, the bad, the weird? Also a, an interesting – a funny movie.
1: No, yeah. <laughs> and
0: it's, it's foreign language. It's goofy. It's quirky. Yeah. That almost could have been in
1: the define me list, but it's not. No, and I. This is something I totally want to hear from you. I would be really interested because I think that, that movies speak to us in a really special way,
0: yep. and
1: um, I think that the movies that we believe define us say a lot about not only who we are, but who we want to be, yeah. or and... sometimes who we fear we are. Ooh. So I think I think it would dun, be really dun, interesting dun. to hear.
0: Hit us up on the Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. We also have this Facebook group called Pop Culture with Fan People and Know It All. So come and let your weird hang out with all of us. All of us weirdos, dweebs, geeks. I don't know. Is that from Ferris Bueller? They all adore him. Geeks, weirdos, you know whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've never seen Ferris Bueller, but I've heard that line. Oh my goodness,
1: you've never seen Ferris Bueller?
0: Which is a great. It's 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 on my backlist Hall of Shame, which is a great segue to say we're reintroducing that. We we mentioned this back when we talked about the movies from our birth year, and we added one to our backlist. And so, um, like, uh, so what we have remaining, I'll show Paul the list here. Uh, remaining on my backlist is Seven Samurai, mm-hmm. Goodwill Hunting, and Dead Poets Society, mm-hmm. the, f- the latter being from my 1989 birth year.
1: Oddly enough, two Robin Williams movies. Two Robin
0: Williams films. Uh, and Paul's remaining backlist is To Kill a Mockingbird, Saving Private Ryan, and The Italian Job, the original, which is a Michael Caine classic from Paul's. Birth year. So, Paul, would you like to pick off of my backlist for?
1: Yeah, I think I will. You know, I'm really tempted to just throw on Ferris Bueller's Day Off onto your backlist right now because you really should see it. It's like this is like a cultural moment. Not knowing. Not having watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off is a little like not having ever watched a Simpsons episode, you know?
0: I've also never watched a Simpsons episode. You're lame. That that You're show totally literally lame. came out the year I was born and you, I've never watched an episode. You know what? It's been around my whole life and I've never seen it.
1: All those nice things I said about you, I'm retracting. <laughs> Taking right them all back. Now. Yeah. That's that's crazy. <laughs> How can you have never seen a Simpsons episode?
0: Well, because when I was a kid and I was raised in a, you know, conservative home the yeah. Simpsons was the evil of the time, right? Yeah. This is the show that is undoing America. Now it's the show that we all kind of pine to and we're like, hey, you know what? That was kind of like weirdly family-friendly compared to what we have now. <laughs> well, and you
1: know what? I was just reading an article about how how many Christians now embrace it because it's one of the few shows that doesn't deal with Christianity either as this, this horrific foil where, where everybody's horrible who's a Christian or – is just this sort of whitewashed depiction of Christianity. There's like real people in here. Yeah. So, so 30 years ago was the worst thing. Now yeah. it's actually
0: kind of Christians are like, hey, maybe we should have been watching this this whole time. Yeah,
1: but now now we've gotten totally off track. And now am, I'm 30 I'm, years behind. I am giving you Seven Samurai.
0: Seven Samurai. Because off the it's back your hall of shame.
1: Your type of movie.
0: My type of film. No women. <laughs> lots of partnership. <laughs>
1: Subtitles.
0: <laughs> lots of partnerships. You mean like
1: camaraderie?
0: Camaraderie. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, they're, they're partners. They're not like <laughs> – You
0: know, they're like business partners. It's your kind of film. they got these partnerships going. It's like your thing, you know? Partnerships.
1: Yeah, no, no. Different type of partnership.
0: Male camaraderie? Is Male that, camaraderie. That's really what you're saying when you're saying no women and lots of partnerships is, Jake – I know that you like male camaraderie. Yes, I do. Thank you very much. I like hanging out with – I like having friends that are of the same gender as me. Sue me. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Seven Samurai. (laughs) That's yours. That will be the – so go to your local library. Check it see if they've got it on Amazon. Let's watch it together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Seven Samurai is really one of the classics of of all-time cinema. It is a longish movie, but it is so influential in so many different areas. Everybody should watch it.
0: There you go. And with that, it's time for The Most Least Important Thing. Welcome inside The Most Least Important Thing, the way we love to wrap up every single little show of ours. We talk about whatever we want to. (laughs) And we try to convince you that it's kind of important and something you should care about. Or we take the things you care about and we say, hey, knock it off. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because we're just big old mean jerks like that. Paul, what do you got for us today?
1: All right. So I I have spent – last Friday I spent 16 hours watching the entire series or the entire second season of 13 Reasons Why. Started at 1 a.m ended five. It was a Yeah. Yeah. five PM. It was a long, arduous, horrible day.
0: And Yeah, I mean sixteen hours of even the best content is probably too much for a day.
1: Yeah, and I didn't want to watch this series, honestly, for thirteen seconds. I mean it's just it is hard to watch. Not it's not
0: popcorn fair.
1: It's not popcorn fair. There's a lot of really serious issues. It's also done in, in a fairly, I consider melodramatic and, and sometimes salacious way. Um, and I just I just it's just not my thing. And I think it, it can be for some people kind of kind of damaging. I mean, I really do. I think that sometimes sometimes the way they deal with these issues can influence teens who might be watching into into bad directions. But that aside, there are some good things about this show. It really does deal with some really important issues. Um, and and the characters that are portrayed here, are they feel real and they feel like they have something to say. As much as I didn't want to hear what they had to say in, in a lot of respects, they still had something to say. And, and I took away some, some one element that I just wanted to share with you today. One of the things that that I noticed in this particular season was how there's a moment in time where Clay, one of the main characters, his father actually asks him, why, why do teens never tell their parents anything ever? And you see that come up again and again and again and again. Um, 13 Reasons Why has a bunch of concerned parents. They're not perfect, but they're very concerned. They want to be involved with their kids' lives. They want to help them through their issues. The teens will not tell them about anything. They will um, they will lie. They will diminish the seriousness of something that happens. They just don't want to, to tell their parents for, for one reason or another, and the reasons really run the gamut. But Clay answered in, I think, sort of a profound way. He said, sometimes I think it's because we want to protect you. And I think that that resonates with me. I think that resonates with me when I was a kid. It resonates with me as a parent. I think that sometimes kids, they deal with a lot of stuff that that we as parents don't necessarily know about, and that kids (laughs) wrongly, I think, believe that we can't handle. Yeah, Um, yeah. I think that for me, it was just a reminder. Again, this gets back to, to a quiet place in some ways where, where you think about what, what do we need to do as parents to protect our kids? And for kids out there, how can you better engage with your parents? And I think that, that what it comes down to is talk. yeah, Talk. Talk about the uncomfortable things. Be willing to talk about the very, the very trying moments in your life. You know, I think that they can be hard conversations, but parents really want to speak into their children's lives. Yeah. And children, I think, the thing that I think that kids don't understand is that far from hurting your parents in some ways, you're making them feel really special if you yeah. talk with them about some of these issues yeah. um, because they want to help. You know? So they want, that was just. They it.
0: Want to sh- we want to share the pain of our kids. Exactly. So even if it hurts, it hurts more not being able to step into that with our kids. It we really don't does. Ki- We don't want our kids. We don't because we know we ourselves don't want to walk through our pain privately.
1: Yeah.
0: And we definitely don't want that for our kids. We want them to feel like they have parents who are willing to go into the fire of you know whatever it is they're going through, dealing with, with them. So yes, it's going to hurt, but we don't in any sense you know, those parents that want to be engaged yeah. in care, they don't want to be protected from that. They want to step into that with their yeah. kids as hard as it is. So, yeah, oh, that's really interesting. It, it,
1: it's, it's fascinating to me. It, it, there's just this, there's this sense of preserving innocence on both sides. As yeah. parents, we want to keep our kids as innocent as possible. And so when we realize that they're not as innocent anymore, it does hurt. Yeah, But it's still really important that we're involved. And I think that kids... kids they see their parents as kind of innocent themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that, that 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 teens, if you're doing, you know, I think that most teens, they look at their parents as maybe a little bit of out of touch, but as good people, you know? And because of that, they don't want to sully their parents or worry their parents with these concerns, but they have to because I think that that's, that's the way to get through this crazy world of ours, sane and, and relatively unscathed, yeah. you know?
0: There you go. My most least important thing this time around is actually all thanks to uh my, my bud that I've been becoming friends with on the Twitter. His name's Jared Donnie Collins. What up, Jared? This one's to you. Uh I was recently at a conference called the Social Shake Up in Atlanta talking mm-hmm. about like what how are we communicating with each other in this social media age? And so I did a lot of – for those of you that follow me on Twitter know that I, I had lots of thoughts related to that topic on the Twitter. And, and Jared, as I wrapped up blasting everyone with my thoughts on the Twitter, is like, <laughs> hey, you should, you should talk about some of your takeaways on, on the podcast. So, Jared, this one's for you because normally I'm not – but I think what's interesting because normally I don't talk about like social media marketing right, right. On, on this podcast. I'll talk about how me and Chris Pratt are yeah, best friends. You hang out. And we hang on out Twitter on Twitter together once, one time solitary time
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and before they got separated so did Anna Ferris you know his his wife at the yeah. time did so you know we're besties but anyways you should have healed that relationship <laughs> so sad i know anyways so uh, so Jared as far as some of my takeaways go i think one of the interesting things that brands and organizations and businesses are trying to figure out on social media is like how how do we actually talk to people and how do we actually get our products or our messages in front of people and we know everybody's using social media but we're not sure that we should be or how we should be and there was an interesting pop culture crossover two interesting pop culture crossovers here one was not meaningful at all and was the fact that we all uh, as conference attendees got pranked by True TV's impractical jokers. <laughs> for those of you that, that know that show, I won't reveal the prank, but apparently they're making a movie. Oh my goodness. And they decided to prank all of us. And also that was that was a thing. So we all got pranked. So there was a pop culture crossover. But there was a phrase, it's a concept I've been talking about for a while. Um, in my day job, as I talk about digital and social media engagement and marketing, and it 's this idea that in the traditional model of marketing, there were very limited numbers of channels, right relatively speaking, there was you know a several dozen options, and actually, in your local market, probably not even that many dozens of options. You had your local t v channels. Uh, you know, maybe a handful of those. You had local radio stations, maybe a handful to two handfuls of those and a newspaper or two. And those were your options for consuming content outside of, you know, just the people in your life, right? And, and having conversations with them. Now in this new age, each of us has thousands of, of different options at our fingertips. Mm -hmm. And, in this old in the old terrestrial model with very few choices, as long as you could get placement in a newspaper on a TV channel on a radio station, people would find you because they only had very few options, so they would turn it on and there you would be and so you built it and they were there they came and so i've been i've been I talk a lot at work about the fact that that model no longer works. You can't expect people to come find you. That doesn't happen very often. You have to go where they're at and that's what we use social media for is to go where people are at because they're using these platforms and so we have to go where they're at and talk to them in a way that they expect to be talked to on those platforms. Mm -hmm. Somebody at the conference was talking about that very concept and I love the way they phrased it. They said, the field of dreams concept of marketing is dead. And of course if you build it they will come. If you build it they will come. Mm-hmm. And I was like, of course. Like I've been talking about how this this mindset is dead, but I never made that connection to Field of Dreams. And that's a fantastic connection because I know all these business execs are from a generation that loves Field of Dreams, and so I can just use this takeaway to translate what i'm saying because i have trouble kind of communicating that message using the lingo of the platforms and the lingo of the business execs but now i can say hey have you guys seen field of dreams oh i know (laughs) i know you love that movie he just wanted to have a catch with his dad yeah field of dreams marketing is dead (laughs) that that dream is dead if you build it no one's coming
1: boy and yeah that is the truth you know and it's and it's interesting i think that there's there's a real connection with what you could, took away from this and this entire podcast in a way because we're talking about we're talking about stories and and how sometimes how they reach out to us in a certain respect yeah. and i think it would be interesting you know if you wanted to dig dig deeper on this on a future podcast i'd be interested in this because it's it's really communication is story story is communication and it's all related to social media and how we communicate with each other today
0: because we're all just humans talking to each other and living our stories and interacting with each other's stories so it's pretty fascinating thing so thanks jared for that uh prompt and uh i'm interested what other questions you may have or others may have so again on the twitter i'm at jake underscore roberson that's where me and jared were talking that's right. That's and Paul right. is not at my handle. He's got his own handle. I've got my own handle at AC Paul, and I sometimes talk with people on Twitter too. Occasionally, Paul does. You know, when he's not trying to ignore me.
1: Yeah, well, and uh, it's hard. It's it is hard. difficult. It is. <laughs> You're Paul's, a hard person to Paul's ignore. Paul's been trying I try. to ignore
0: me for almost a decade this, at this <laughs> point. <laughs> but with with that being said, we're looking forward to diving into Seven Samurai together and with you. So be sure to check that out and come back with us next time on our and get inside all of our crazy little brains together <laughs> but for now I'm Jake I'm Paul we'll catch you guys on the flip side bye